Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, and uh, just to give you a little bit of a background of the church in Corinth, um, the church in Corinth was not planted, um, or was planted by the Apostle Paul in through the process of him planting this church. You've heard me speak culturally about what the church had to struggle with, and culturally speaking, Corinth sits on an isthmus. I don't know if it's, it's what they call it, an, ith, an isthmus. <laughs> And it's an area where two large land masses are connected by a narrower landmass. And Corinth set in the center of it. So people traveling north and south, um, they had to go through Corinth. And they brought all of the cultural and religious um, complications into the city with it. Uh, now the Apostle Paul received word, and we'll see uh, in this in a little bit, that Chloe's people... Um, you can look at chapter 16 in 1 Corinthians if you want to know who Chloe's people are. It actually tells us. Chloe's people, which means Chloe and the people who are actually a part of the church, had contacted the Apostle Paul and had told them that there were a few issues in the church. A few. I'm going to name them for you. You ready? They reported that there were divisions and much sin in the congregation. There was gross immorality and incestuous relationships. Lawsuit between Christians in front of unbelievers. Many practical problems in living the Christian life. Marriage problems. Difficulties concerning meat offered to idols. The mastery of, of uh, con- or, I'm sorry, in matters of conscience. Abuses in taking the Lord's Supper. Disorderly conduct in the formal assemblies for worship confusion about the role of women in the church, and heresies about the afterlife, which produce a tremendous response from Paul. This church did not have a few problems. It really only had one real problem. It could not disconnect itself from its culture. That was the death of the church in Corinth. It could not disconnect from its culture. How much in the U.S. has culture bled into the church? How does it bleed in? Is the windows not watertight? I mean, how does it come in? People bring it in. They bring culture in. And what kind of things does this culture teach us? The culture that's created by the fallen man, what kind of things does that culture te- uh, teach us? If it feels good, do it. Right? You don't like who you are? You can pretend to be someone else and expect everyone around you to pretend it too. This is our culture. And it does try to find its way inside the church and we carry it in. And honestly, hopefully the incestuous part's not true under no circumstances. But if you was to just remove that one part and look down that list, how many of those problems are problems in the U.S. with individuals who are Christians? whole bunch of them a whole bunch of them so why is marriage so hard god didn't seem to get have any difficulty giving us instructions about it right so why is it so hard why is it so hard when god says i've given you a gift to do something why is it so hard to do something with it 
even to the extent of going, I don't even know what mine is. Is ignorance an excuse? No. I can guarantee you one thing, according to what this says, everybody in here has got one. There have been a lot of people that I've had to tell who what their gift was. Because within their bubble, they couldn't see it. And so I'm going, oh, yeah, you get a gift. I can tell you what it is. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. You just watch somebody function through life. If they're using their gift, it's pretty obvious that they're using that gift. This church in Corinth was facing moral, ethical complications and the Apostle Paul felt that he needed to respond to this quickly. Now, his response to this, we'll get to in just a minute, when we get a few verses down, his response to this is what is not what you would expect it to be. He, you get later in the book of, of 1 Corinthians, a little bit further along in 1 Corinthians, you see the Apostle Paul get an attitude. He's angry. Do I get it? Absolutely, I get it. Yes, I get it. Pastors get angry when, when uh, church members do really dumb stuff. We do. We get angry. And Paul responded to this church in Corinth quickly. But I got to hand it to the Lord for the way that he did this. Take a look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes our brother. Now, Sosthenes, it is believed, was, was one of the apostle Paul's secretaries. So he basically traveled with the apostle Paul. He uh, they know that he penned some of his letters. They know that he... The Apostle Paul, um, um, when he mentions Sosthenes here, he's actually affirming that there's uh, somebody else that's on this trip with him. And he's also affirming to these individuals um, in the church before he actually shows back up to talk to them. He's affirming to these individuals that he is an apostle, or he is an apostle called by Christ Jesus. So we need to focus on that because he focused on it in the first verse for a very specific reason. Because the apostle Paul begins to lean into and allude to the fact that the way that he sees Jesus, the calling on his life, the way that God actually intends to use that calling, he uses this in the verses to come to kind of help reinforce what it is that God is trying to accomplish in everybody else's life in this particular church. Because it's always the truth. Grace and peace. We've mentioned, we've heard uh, the Apostle Paul say that before, right? Read this with me. Starting with verse 1. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes our brother to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why in the second verse does he bring up, not only is, is he addressing this to the individuals who are the congregation at Corinth, but he also includes that this same gift that was given to the individuals in Corinth that provided them with grace, there were many people in many other places that were also worshiping that same Jesus through that same call. You notice the word same? I'm using it a lot. Same. He's trying to get the people to understand here in Corinth, he's laying out a model that says, 
I was called on the road to Damascus. He made me an apostle. He's the one that made me even capable. And he's done the exact same thing for everyone else. So here's the question, kind of the point that he's making. Why is Corinth so messed up compared to all of the other churches on the planet? If it's the same Savior, if it's the same doctrine, if it's the same Lord, if it's the same motivator, if it's the same everything, why is Corinth so much worse morally than all of the other six churches around it within 200 miles? Have you ever seen someone's life and wonder where that life had been had they trusted in Christ or had they not trusted in Christ. How much different would your life be if Jesus was out of the picture? And, and I ask that question for this reason. The only way we know what Jesus brings to the table is for us to imagine everything in our life right now would be stripped away that has anything to do with God whatsoever, how would it affect your life? It'd be pretty huge, wouldn't it? I'd be too. No doubt. No doubt in my mind I'd be dead. So then, let's ponder this question a little deeper. Have you ever met those people who grow like mad? Why isn't everybody? Same Lord? Same God? Is this based on our capabilities at all? This is all stuff he summed up. So if he's the same in, in all areas, and there are human beings who could line up and say, we're all different, what makes the difference? Has everything in the world to do with, is this relationship with Jesus Christ real? Is it real? Because if I walk up to you and I tell you that I have learned my lessons in life and I will never lie again, and then I turn around and do it. What am I? I clearly just told you all that I am not a liar. But I keep lying. What does that make me? I don't get to redefine that. I'm a liar. Will Jesus justify you lying and not me? No, he's not going to justify either of his lying, is he? Does he expect my wife to love me more than I love her? He expects me not to worry about how much my wife loves me. He expects me to worry about how much I love my wife. You see how that works? How if this relationship's real and we start to do something we know we're not supposed to, we know that God is screaming down from the kingdom saying, Do not do it! Just turn a blind eye and do it anyway. 
How much has the culture bled into you? If you were Corinth, if you were the church in Corinth, how much of it's bled into you? Because you know what today's culture says? Just look around. They're planting churches like crazy. You know it? You know what churches aren't doing anymore? Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. Sundays and Wednesdays are no more church. I mean, don't even show up to the place on those nights. Not like having different ministries. Now, some of them do some ministries in different days of the week, and they're doing things a little bit different. Culturally. I've always said change the method. Never the message. But the fact is this. And the reason that I tell people all the time, and and please follow me through with this. We talk about people's responsibility before God, and I tell people that they need to worry about their relationship with God. Anything that God's commanded me not to do, is it okay for you to do it? Is there anything that God's commanded you not to do that is okay for me to do? Is he going to give us two different sets of rules? Two different sets of expectations? Two different purposes? Two different paths? Or as a church body, is he trying to get us all on the same? It's all on the same. Now the reason that church is stumble and and just trip all over themselves regardless of what the size of the church is is because individuals have have not stopped pushing the culture out have not stopped listening to that culture and then the consequences of that culture is what in other words what's that church on sunday are we following some master plan you can only worship god on sunday is that what the deal is here why is church on Sunday? Somebody thought it was a good idea, right? First day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the grave. But that's not what church was created by. It was created by the Sabbath. When was the Sabbath? Saturday. Now, I'm not chasing all this down to try to confuse anybody because I just want you to hear me when I say this. The day of the week that you meet on doesn't matter. Because culture said you have church on Sunday night. Culture said you have church on Wednesday night. Culture said you have church on Sunday morning. Culture might even say you can have Bible study on Monday or Tuesday. But what are Christians doing the other four and a half days of the week? Because culture has also taught us that Christians are Christians when they're inside the four walls of a church. The way we conduct ourselves is so important. It's not just about the disastrous consequences of bad things. Allowing culture to bleed into us is also preventing good things. In other words, if, if culture has taught you, if you're uncomfortable to speak out loud, don't do it. How do you do that and be a Christian? If you're not comfortable talking to people that you don't know, then just don't do it. Because that's what the Bible says, right? 
He even goes so far as to command for us to go to foreign nations to proclaim this message. To leave the safety and security of the U.S. bled constitution to a country where you do not have the right and to do it anyway. The churches had plenty of culture bleed into it. I talked to a guy the other day who actually considered his tithe one of his bills. Considered a tithe a bill. And I'm not like he budgeted it that way. To him, it was a bill. And I don't know. He's not from here. Somebody from another church, he may have been one of those churches that at the end of the year they send people the, the collection letters that say, you know, you missed this much of your tithe based on last year. We're going to need you to get that to us as quickly as possible. Verse 3, we have to pull this out. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from where? From Where? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Not grace and peace to you from your own hard-hearted, hard-headed, justifiable stance. In other words, I've, I've done a lot of counseling in the years that I've been a pastor, and it's amazing to me that sometimes I will actually sit in, in, in my office with people who have absolutely no question asked. They will absolutely admit it, done, done wrong, period, done wrong, and absolutely found peace in that. How? You got to cut God out of it. It's the only way it happens. You have to cut God out of it. And how is this any different than God saying... Go, preach. How does it affect that? I mean, let me be honest, be very frank with you and with as much love as I can, and I've asked this question many times before, and I think that God keeps having me ask the question, hoping that he may get a different answer as we move forward and further down the road. When's the last time you verbally, intentionally, for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel, approach someone and share Jesus with them? Now I need you to tell me one of two things. Did he just know you two? Or did you willfully reject his command, turn your back on him, and walk away? Which of the two? When culture gets to the point that it starts telling us if it feels good, do it. trying to think of that drug it was really popular back when i was in high school i never got involved with this one but it's one that actually caused arousal if you scratched yourself in other words it feels good for you to do something damaging to your skin and i went to the hospital for a girl one night who was on that medication and she 
still street drug. She still said, but it felt so good. They had to strap this girl's legs to opposite sides of the bed because she had exposed the bone on her shin from rubbing it with the sole of her foot. If it feels good, do it. Does that work under all circumstances and scenarios? Just a an, an, a no holds barred. If it feels good, do it. We got Carol House, Carol House furniture for people who like nice things. And that ad ran for ten years because it was selling furniture. If you was to compare yourself to John the Baptist, how would we stand? The choices that we make in life, with our time, the choices we make with our talents, the choices we make with our money, and that is not a dig for anybody to increase tithe and hear me out. I used to eat out twice a week. About 45 to 50 bucks to eat out twice because I'm not a McDonald's guy. If I go sit down, I'm going to sit down in a restaurant. Then something comes along that I need to purchase. And I will lay down on the floor and I will beat my forehead on it and I will beat my fists on it and kick my feet and I will throw a fit because I ain't got the money for it. Business meeting. This was 15 years ago. The young adult said, hey, we need a young adult budget. And I'm like, no, you don't. Young adults are young adults. You guys can carry your own. Oh, no, I don't have the money. Leave the church that night, drive by Dairy Queen, guess who I've seen sitting in a Dairy Queen parking lot? You ain't got 10 bucks to chip into an event for a church, but you got 10 bucks to stop and get your ice cream. How are we choosing to spend our money? Because I'm not telling you you should spend it the way that I'm telling you to. I'm asking you, are you spending your money the way God expects you to? That's the question. What does it mean to be a good steward? And the funny thing is that word steward, steward it, not only, it not only addresses the financial side of things, it also addresses the everyday Christian walk kind of things. Look what he says in verse 4. <laughs> I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is Paul addressing the whole church? Hey, Zach, flip me back to the first verse again real quick. It may be the second one. Yeah, give me the second one. To the church of God who is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ, in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Is he addressing the whole church? 
He's direct, he, this is being written directly to the saints. Is everybody in Corinth a saint? Apparently not. Not with the problems that they're facing. Lost people don't sleep with their kids. I'm sorry, saved people don't sleep with their kids. And that is one of the charges. It's right smack in the, in the, in the, the letter to the Corinthian church. It's been reported to me that a man has taken his father's wife. Who is that? It's his mom. So he's not addressing the lost people. He's addressing the saved people. That second verse specifically says to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. These are not the people who say they're Christians and don't act like it. He's addressing the people who are absolutely Christians and everything throughout this letter. He is instructing the people who have a genuine faith how they are supposed to respond to this cultural invasion to their church. And when he gets into the meat of all of this, he begins to encourage them. He says, I thank you. Now, in, in context, I thank you. I thank the God, I thank God constantly because of the grace that came to you through Christ Jesus. Could you imagine what that church would be like if there was no believers in it? If it was just a church full of people who said, I'm a Christian, but had zero individuals who were willing to live it out. What would that church look like? But if a church is full of people who understand that they are a piece of a puzzle intended to function for a purpose, and if you take a piece of that puzzle out, that puzzle cannot be completed. Anybody ever get to the end of one of those 500,000 piece puzzles and you have a piece missing? Is there anything more aggravating than that. I will go so far as to go fold me up a piece of toilet paper, I will shove it down into that little hole, and I will color the rest of it in just to make the whole picture good. The question is, just how much of a detriment is it to a church when an individual allows culture to invade their heart and removes them from the calling that God has on their life? Because honestly, it's not even so much about the bad that people are doing, because they'll always do that. To me, it's more about, what about the good that's not being done? Because people have allowed the culture to redefine who their God is. Allowed the culture to redefine what God's rights are when it comes to us. Allowed the church to redefine what this relationship is. I had this pop in my head the other day, and I'm pretty sure it was God. He says, hey, do you think the church, do you think that the, the world is full of more churches or less? There's more buildings. Does that mean there are more churches? In the Old Testament, there's a word, um, Ichabod. You know what it means? Especially when it's written over the door of a church. The Spirit of the Lord has left this place. That's what Ichabod means. 
And there's only one reason that the Lord would leave anywhere. And it's because he's been asked. Any of you ever work on a job somewhere that every person involved had a specific role? And as long as every person involved carries out their specific role, they harmonize with everyone else who's a part of that responsibility. And when they harmonize, and they do it day after day after day for 6 to 12 months, what's the result? If you had never in your life seen a house built before, and you show up day one when they're pouring concrete foundation, how many people does it take to know what they're doing? And Doug will know what I mean when I, when I say this. Electrician avoiding plumber, and plumber avoiding electrician, and framer avoiding electrician, and electrician avoiding framer, and electrician avoiding our framer of the, with the plumber, and um, these guys, and they will get on each other's way. The power guy will run a cord right through a wall where a pipe's supposed to be. They'll put those stud protectors or those wire protectors up in places that guys can't drill holes through the studs to get the pipe to run through the walls. They get in each other's way. Do you know why? Not only are they not on the same page, they have no desire to be. The plumber comes in and says, I got a job to plumb. I don't care who else, who else my job's going to affect. I'm going to go in and do my job as effectively and quickly as I can. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to get my paycheck for it. The church ain't supposed to function like that. To be honest with you, a house ain't supposed to function like that. But it's still a miraculous thing that when these guys get together from four or five different companies doing four or five completely different things, in just a matter of a few months, you can pull up in that same spot where there was a big dirt hole and a bunch of concrete making a square, and there is this house that actually has running water and power and a toilet that you can flush, tables you can eat at, a stove you can cook on. A garage to park your car in. It's amazing when, when people come together and have specific roles and carry those roles out. It's amazing what's, what gets accomplished. Have you seen a skyscraper? The Empire State Building. Have you ever seen it? The Arch. You ever walk up under it? People built that. They stacked that thing up and it's been sitting for how long? Did one man do it? A whole bunch of men did it. But how many people, who was responsible for the blueprint? The architect, right? And who's the architect? Who's the architect of life? He's the architect. He made the blueprint. There isn't one person inside this church that's going to be able to fill what that blueprint requires. It takes every individual with their individual gifts. You have value, I don't. I guarantee you there are those of you that are in here that have gifts that I don't have. Now, will I do those things? You better believe it. Am I going to be half as good as you are? Not if you've got that gift. I don't care how practiced somebody is. You will never outdo a person who has God's call and knows of God's, God's gift in their life. I guarantee it. 
church life's changing. And churches really do have to change. It's methods, never it's message. Jump down to verse 10. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Um, did it say like? You know, the Bible says like-minded all over it, right? As Christians, we're supposed to be like-minded. What's that say? What's the difference? It's a collective. A church is a collective. In other words, I cannot be what I'm supposed to be without you being what you're supposed to be. And the truth is, you can't be what you're supposed to be without me being what I'm supposed to be. That's what we are all together. This is the way he created us. And honestly, if there's ever been a frustration in my life, it's been refusal to fellowship. I'm not talking about refusal to belly up to a table downstairs. You can talk a Baptist into that any day of the week. I'm talking about koinonia. I'm talking about the intimacy of the relationship in Christ that ties us together much stronger than even relational blood. How important would it be for me to do what I did if your ability to breathe depended on it? And how important would it be for me if my ability to breathe depended on you? Because the reality of the truth is you do, and so do I. There's nothing in a church family, nothing that can detach us from one another. You see, you see a wound somewhere, you want to repair it. You see damage somewhere, you want to correct it. You see danger somewhere, you want to avoid it. Why? Folks, the truth is, how long have people been trying to do it their way? God's way? It pretty much comes down to this. Give you simple instructions. Give you everything you needed to carry it out. Why are you just standing there? Verse 11 says, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. I 
I can't say for sure whether there are quarrels among people. I can say typically it's pretty obvious when there are very serious quarrels among people. But quarrels don't necessarily have to be outward in nature. They don't have to be <clears throat> exhaustive in nature. One thing I've always begged as a pastor, you have an issue with me, come talk to me about it. Don't talk to nobody else about it. Come talk to me about it. For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. How should two Christians be able to get along with each other? All right, I'm going to tie this kind of back a little bit more because Jesus does tie the church to marriage, right? Ephesians chapter 5. When, when a woman's been told by God to submit to her husband, does it matter who the person is? Who her husband is? It does. Because of what, he, what if he doesn't love her like Christ loved the church? It's kind of where it all falls off the rails, right? Because ultimately, who's responsible? Man or woman? Man, you are the leader of your household. God made it that way. You're responsible for every decision you make, and you're responsible for every choice that was carried out in your family, and you will stand before God one day give an account for that. Because that authority was given to us as men to be used in the purpose of care and love and not for any other. And I'll ask this question. Women, how many of you who have a husband who loved you like Christ loved the church, how many of you have a problem submitting to that husband? See how this works? If either two people in a relationship decide to go off on a tangent, you can't hurt one without hurting the other. You can't pull the two apart without there being a blast radius. It's the relationship. It's not marriage. It's the same here. I've told you all. I don't know if I said it in a sermon or not. I had a guy who was mad at me for five years. I find out five years later this guy's mad at me and finally go to him and say, hey, are you upset at me? Yep, I'm upset at you. Why? Because I plowed the driveway five years ago and nobody even gave me so much as a thank you. Now, I'm going to grant you, but people should get thank yous, and I do my best to try to give people thank yous and let them know that I appreciate them, because, and, it's, and it's a fact. So the fault's not in the fact that I may have caused an offense. The fault was in this guy carried that for five years. And it could have been taken care of in five minutes. You can't carry emotions around on your shoulders and expect it not to have consequences. That's what allows the culture to bleed in. Our personality is culture. It's everything in this world that has treated us the way that it's treated us to this point that has made us who we are. So God comes in and he says, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we find ourselves in conflict. And the result of that conflict is what? 
Toss the coin. After all he's done, every way he showed himself faithful, and I got the gall to question him. No, I don't. Since you've been here, how many times has God let us down? And I'm not talking about the church now. I'm talking about principle in your life. How many times has God let you down? Yet, we find ourselves facing the difficulties in this world and what we're afraid of. Even if we don't say it, even if our brain don't connect it, do we think that God's really going to take care of us? If we run around fretting, worrying, and trying to take care of ourselves? I know there are quarrels among us. Why? Because we're human beings. And they may not be fights that you think are even worthy to have. Nobody likes confrontation. But I can promise you, you come to me constructively, we'll sit down and have a conversation, and you can say anything to me that you want to. It's constructive. And I hope that you all believe me when I say I believe the relationship's the same way with you. Do I wait a lot? Yes, because a lot of times I feel like God's just telling me, wait, I'm sorting some things out, and I don't want to be in the middle of something God's doing. Unless he has me in there doing something. <laughs> I don't want to get between him and other people, put it that way. You go counseling in my office? You know what the first thing we talk about? Communication. The most important aspect of any relationship is communication. We know the Bible tells us from last week, principally it tells us that we're supposed to share all good things with those who teach, right? The Bible says that if you find a brother in a fence, you approach him. It tells us how to, but it tells us to, correct? And no matter what the gift is, there's very specific instruction in there that gives us the limitations to it, the purpose for it, the direction for it. Corinth was a mess because they let the culture in. How are you faring these days? Are you happy? Do you have peace? Is grace even anywhere in the, in the prospect of your mind on these days that we're crazy? But you, you can get it however you want it. You can get it the way you've had it. You can get it the way you like it. Or you can get it the way that God gave it. You can't have it all three. Because we're human and we'll never match that. If God thought we were just fine the way we were, he wouldn't have had to send the Holy Spirit and he would have left us alone. I don't preach this message to push. 
But I can tell you this, and I'm seeing it more and more obvious. The world out there is chasing their dreams. The church should be chasing Jesus' dream. In our individual lives, it's extremely important, and it manifests itself on a large scale inside this church where every individual is at in their relationship. And I don't want to be the one to push you to anything. But I do hope and pray that you'll be sensitive enough that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and that you would just be willing to be whatever it is that he wants to make you. If you've never trusted in Christ, the music starts. You can come up here, tell me that you want to be saved, and I can't save you, but I'll take the time necessary to explain to you the one who can. Whether believer or non-believer, if the Holy Spirit moves you, be obedient and come see me and I'll show you to him thanks again for listening if you have questions about becoming a Christian discipleship or if you have prayer requests you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit the Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.